Hey guys, this is our weekly podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We're so glad that you decided to join. We are a church family passionate about seeing people worship Jesus, grow in their faith, and serve those around them. If you would like to learn more about Cornerstone, please visit us at cornerstoneione.org, or you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. All right, well, good morning, Cornerstone. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is CJ. I'm the youth pastor here, and I'm, uh, I'm filling in for Pastor Brian this morning. He's at a wedding um, out of state, so it's a good reason to be gone. We're excited for him to be able to do that. Um, and so we took the opportunity to have a youth Sunday this morning. Um, there's something that uh, I wanted to say before we really get started, and I said this first service. So I reminded the youth band um, before service started today that they are not performers and you are not consumers or an audience, right? Um, And I kind of ran into this dilemma where I I kept trying to think of how can I communicate to the congregation, like encourage them, right? Like in what they're doing in their their pursuits of Christ. Uh, How can I do that and ask them to do that without encouraging this dynamic of performer and audience, right? Because we don't want to encourage a performance. And and I think where I landed, at least for now, is that the best way that you could encourage them and thank them, um, and and not just on Youth Sunday, but every Sunday, right? Whoever's up here leading, the best way that you could do that is by worshiping with them, right? Engaging in what they're doing, participating in the worship service, because they're not performers. They're Christians worshiping God, just like you're Christians worshiping God, and together we're the church worshiping God. So don't sit and consume, okay? Uh, Worship with them. That's what I would love to see happen um, on you Sundays and and every Sunday at Cornerstone. Worship with them. So the best thing that you can do when I'm done preaching, because I'm not a performer either, right? I'm up here. I'm worshiping through speaking God's word, through teaching and preaching. Um, The best thing that you can do is do this with us. Engage with us. Open your Bibles. Sing your hearts out, right, on a Sunday morning. That's what we're gathered to do as Christians. Um, So I just wanted to say that uh, it's easy on a Sunday morning to sit down. And I've been here where I sit down in a pew and I just think, like, what are we doing, right? What what are we doing as a church? And, uh, you know, I can get kind of down on myself, like, I'm not doing enough. And I can get judgmental, like, other people aren't doing enough. But one of the easiest and best ways... I think to be reminded every single week of what Cornerstone is doing besides worshiping together um, is to read your bulletin and to listen to the announcements, right? I know it sounds simple, but seriously, like we're constantly communicating what Cornerstone is doing in the community and and within our church family. And so I'm going to take a second and just uh, run down a couple of these things here. Uh, The first one is that we do have a business meeting coming up. Um, And the elders have a proposed budget for the coming year. So we would ask that you would grab one of those. They're out there in the lobby. I think it's in a basket. Um, And look it over, highlight, underline, whatever you got to do. Get familiar with it. If you have questions, maybe take those to the elders um, ahead of time for the meeting. That would be great. So we can kind of keep that that meeting smooth, right? And keep the flow going there. Not that we don't have time and room for conversation there. But if we could get some of the, uh, the wrinkles out ahead of time, that would be awesome. So grab one of those on your way out. Um, The other, so Cornerstone does have a Christmas program 
uh, I don't think program is the right word. Christmas project, that's the word I'm looking for. Christmas project that we're doing this year. Uh, and this one's a little bit different. Uh, if you know Jack, the normal announcements guy, uh, so on youth Sundays, I, I tend to snatch up everybody's job. Like I'm preaching for Brian and I'm doing announcements for, for Jack. We like give people a break, right? Um, Jack is kind of leading this up. This is really um, near and dear to his heart that there are these missionaries working in Haiti. And what we're going to ask is that you would bring a Christmas gift that we could send over there. And so I'm going to read what Jack wrote because he does a much better job explaining it than I do. And also, I would really encourage you to talk to him directly about this because he, he has caught the passion for this project, right? It is, it is close to his heart. And if you want to really feel that, uh, you will get hooked on this idea by talking to Jack. The passion just oozes out of that guy, all right, when it comes to this ministry. So let me read what he said. Last week, we announced a new opportunity to spread the love of Christ through a Christmas gift program for children in Haiti. We partner with a ministry down there, um, and we do annual missions trips. He also does uh, soccer camps down there that are evangelistic, um, and he would like to. And we would like to offer a way for Cornerstone to bless to bless the poorest people in the Western Hemisphere. So, what we're going to ask is that you bring a wrapped children's Christmas gift. So, think toys, clothes, school supplies, something that really could fit in like a shoebox. Okay, we don't want mountain bikes or, or, or you know hoverboards. Or, or anything like that. So nothing big, nothing too heavy, just something simple and, and not too hard to ship um, to a foreign country. We would ask that we would bring those wrapped uh, to Cornerstone on Sunday, October 16th. So this one's time sensitive, okay? October 16th. So, right, yeah, that's next week. Okay, um, as these opportunities present themselves, we jump on them, and God in his providence has decided how much time we have to pull it off, okay? That's how we're going to look at this. So uh, if this was youth group, I would make you shout the date back to me, because students um, incessantly forget dates for some reason. And so October 16th, thank you. Right, I don't have a candy bar to throw at you. It's not youth group, but um, yeah, good job. So October 16th, we need them here, okay? And there will be a table outside, and what we ask is, that you put a label on the gift describing the gift, just something simple, okay, um, that gives the people receiving it a better idea of what's in it so they can better match it to the right kid that needs it. Does that make sense? Okay. So that's what we're going to ask a little bit more about this ministry. He says, the ministry, United Christians International, started in 1996 with a local Haitian pastor and his missionary wife from Iowa. They started with a feeding program for children in a community that was overshadowed by a voodoo activity, like literal witchcraft. Right, that's the pervasive spirituality of this area. And this group is coming in here and trying to plant roots for the gospel and push back that darkness. Um, for over 15 years, friends from North America have been sending gifts to show children in Haiti the love of the Father who sent his only son to earth for them. And so part of the idea behind this uh, gift project is not just that we do something nice, right? Because it's fine to do something nice, but this is a, um, an attempt at an illustration of how God gives us good gifts to these children. So it's rooted back in a gospel message, um, especially like gifts of faith and eternal life with him. Um, it is a wonderful opportunity, again, for us to share the gospel and bring joy to children in need without these gifts. They would not receive, without these gifts, they would not have Christmas presents. 
right? So it's not like they get less Christmas presents. And also, the way it's been described to me is their, their ministry where they provide food to these children isn't like, oh, they get better food here or they get lesser quality food if they go over there. It's like, without this ministry, they don't eat. That's the situation, right? There's like, there's kids eating things that are not meant to be food because they're at that point of hunger. Uh, so that's, that's who we are working with. Again, October 16th, bring the gift, wrap it, write on it what it is, and leave it out on the table. Okay? All right. And then lastly, <clears throat> make sure to stop by the harvest party table. Are you going to be out there, Jessica, again? After service? Okay, perfect. So after this service, Jessica will be out at a table um, by the donuts and the snacks. We have a harvest party happening here in Ione, but we still need a lot of volunteers, and there's a ton of different ways that you can participate in that. You could uh, set up ahead of time. You could help break down afterwards. You can run games during. There's all these different ways. You can donate candy. That's a big need right now. Um, so whatever way you can participate, I ask that you would participate in that. Again, we're not consumers, right? All these things that we're doing, we're doing together, shoulder to shoulder in ministry for Jesus. This is an evangelistic opportunity. We're asking you invite people um, from the community. We're doing it in the grass lot here instead of the Spears Ranch. And one of the reasons for that is we're trying to open that door to our community, okay? So again, rooted in gospel ministry. Um, there's... Uh, one other thing that uh, Karen Reed, if you want to uh, ask her about it afterwards, she has a special announcement, but uh, I, I'm not going to do it on stage. So, or, or she's, okay, she'll come up here for a second. Okay, go ahead. You'll know why I'm squirming when she starts talking. So, <laughs> I literally said, I will not do that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to do that to you, Karen. <laughs> between services. Between services. Yeah. Don't just like throw stuff at Brian while he's preaching. Okay. All right. So leave a little extra time for that kind of stuff. All right. So. This morning, a Youth Sunday, that's what is happening. Um, the idea behind Youth Sunday is that every once in a while you would get this literal front row look at what is happening in our youth ministry. And we, I think the best way that we do that is by just by letting them minister right up here on the stage, by letting them worship. And you get to see the fruit of what the Holy Spirit is doing in their lives um, front and center on a Sunday morning. Um, I get excited about this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm going to try not to this service. Last service, I got all teary-eyed, and then my iPad was blurry, and I couldn't keep scrolling. I couldn't keep moving, so I had to let that clear up as I was talking about it. But um, we, we have a beautiful, a beautiful youth ministry, a, a beautiful God-glorifying group of students um, that is just so evident that the Holy Spirit is at work in them. And we have these... Um, just incredible conversations, basically on a, on a weekly basis with these students. And we see them working through, counting the cost of salvation, what it means to follow Jesus, and, and what it means to be a disciple, and then, and then deciding that, yes, it's worth the cost, and then they want to be baptized. And then they start showing up to youth group with their Bibles, and their Bibles are open, and they're studying, and they're underlining, and they're digging into God's Word. 
And we're getting to see this more and more and more. You see, you see us, you know, baptizing students up here. Last time we, bapt, we baptized um, Grace Doris. She was so excited, she almost dunked herself, right? Like, she didn't even let me finish talking before she was going under. Um, so God is just mightily at work in the teenagers at Cornerstone. Um, more so than I could, than I realistically should give time to here. But if you want to know more about what's going on, behind the scenes and things like that. Come talk to me, and I would love to share um, about that kind of stuff. But So we're seeing uh, spiritual growth, right? We're seeing spiritual growth. We're seeing fellowship take root, um, and that is very special and exciting. Um, and the other side of this is that there is this slow, sustained numerical growth that I believe is coming out of the fruit of that spiritual growth that's happening. So we're not seeing the doors being busted down by hundreds of students on a Sunday night, right? But what we are seeing is, is fairly often kids are inviting their friends and saying, like, hey, I think you should come to youth group with me. Hey, I think that you need this. And, and we're seeing students become more brave in their conversations with their friends um, at school, right? In their friend, at their friends' houses, um, challenging them on sin and salvation and what eternity means. And we're seeing that play out, and that is producing a slow numeric growth in the ministry. So I'm excited about that. I would rather have that growth that is rooted, that has that solid foundation, and keep building onto that. <clears throat> so normally I try to take my opportunity on Youth Sundays to not preach to youth, because I do that every Sunday. Right? Every Sunday night, I get to speak to your kids. So now it's my chance to get to preach to you guys. Um, so I'm excited about that. And there's three main things that I, I usually like to do is I try to encourage you and challenge you in some way when it comes to Christian parenting. Um, and so this morning, there's, there's three main things I'm going to try to get to. Remind you of your obligations as Christian parents. That there are commands from the Lord. There are obligations that he has given you. I want to challenge you to fulfill the obligations because it's one thing to know what you're supposed to do. It's another to do it, right? And then uh, third, comfort you with the promise of God in the midst of those heavy obligations. So remind, challenge, and comfort. That's the direction we're headed this morning, okay? I'm going to pray for us. Father, we are literally, in a sense, blessed beyond words um, by you. It's, it's almost unspeakable the works that the Holy Spirit is doing in our young people. It's a, it's a blessing to witness them cry out to you in worship and honor you in worship and desire to do it with excellence because they serve an excellent God. Father, I pray that you would continue to bless them, that you would continue to work in them. And I pray for the parents that are here, that you would uphold them, that you would empower them and give them wisdom to continue on faithfully parenting these young Christians. I pray that my words would be for your people's benefit and to your glory this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, <clears throat> so where we're going to start may seem obvious this morning, but I think it needs to be said for everything else that your teenager 
your child, your, your elementary school, your, your toddler, uh, your college student, they need the gospel. Right? I know that seems simple. I'm going to assume that uh, in talking to Christian parents, we're all in agreement on that point. So I, I won't belabor it too much. But your children, they need the gospel. They need to know that they are a sinner in need of a savior and that Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life and was that savior for them. Right, that now they're, they're justified, redeemed, adopted into the family of God. They need to know that all of those things are true. And like I said, this may seem obvious, but it must be said. And when I say that your teenager needs the gospel, or your college student needs the gospel, or your toddler, I'm also saying that you have an obligation to help that child apply the gospel to their lives. And this would work its way out in a number of different circumstances and questions and conversations, but some of them will be like this. How does the gospel inform their selection of friend groups? So how does that knowledge of what Jesus did for me help me decide who I hang out with? What is the connection there? How does the gospel inform their opinion of media usage? So I was purchased at a very steep price and redeemed back to God the Father. How does that inform what I look at on my smartphone? How does the gospel help them decide how to spend their Sunday mornings? How does the gospel shape their views of sexuality and culture? How does the gospel bring refreshment and rest to your stressed out, anxiety-ridden, overscheduled teenager? Right? Because they all feel that way right now. Unanimously, that's what I hear from parents and students, that they're all feeling this way. So what does the gospel say to our stress and anxiety and depression? Our senses of feeling overwhelmed by the world. What does the gospel say to that? The challenge is that Parents have to know these things before they can communicate these things to their children. Right? So that puts a lot of responsibility back on us. How are we applying the gospel to our lives so that we can help our children apply it to their lives? Why does what happened 2,000 years ago have so much application to today? How, how does this book, this seems just like an ancient text to so many people, come alive to your child right now? How did they understand their connection to the events that took place 2,000 years ago and many more thousands of years ago? As parents, we have this obligation to help them see that connection and see it not just as something that's old and dusty and dead, but alive. That the Spirit's using to cut through our hearts and our souls today. And I guess what scares me is that I do see parents who um, believe that because their kid just in general has good behavior or is generally pleasant, that they assume that they're a heaven-bound, born-again Christian. And you've got to dig deeper. You've got to dig deeper. Start asking the questions, why? Why are they generally well-behaved? What is their motive for that behavior? Where are their affections really? Have they created you in their hearts as an idol to please? And that's why you think things are going so well. Or are they serving the God who created them and they want to honor you because he commanded it? We have to dig deeper with our kids as parents. 
in John 14, 5 through 7. You don't have to turn there right now. Um, actually, if you would like to turn somewhere, it would be 1 John. Um, we'll get to it a little bit later in the message, but that's really where I want you focused this morning. So uh, 1 John, if you want to turn there, and I'll give you plenty of time. But the Gospel of John, in 14, 5 through 7, the disciples say this to Jesus. They say, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So these young disciples, many of them probably in their teenage years, are looking to Jesus and saying, how can we know the way? Where are you going? I don't understand. I need direction. And Jesus says, you don't need to know anything other than I'm the way. I am the truth and I am the life. So when the disciples don't know which way to go, they're not sure if they should take this literally or figuratively. Jesus says, don't worry. And he points them to himself. And we see that happen over and over and over throughout the Gospels. Jesus points people back to himself in the same way your kids are asking which way to go in life right now. They're having to make decision after decision. Some of them are life-altering decisions. Some of them feel like them, right, for your teenagers. Some of them feel like life-altering decisions. But when they keep asking, which way should I go? Which decision should I make? We need to be like Jesus, pointing them back to Jesus. And in order to do that, we have to know Jesus. As parents. So your child needs an intellectual understanding of the gospel. They have to know what happened, right? They have to know what happened in Genesis in the fall. They have to know what happened in the gospels in um, redemption on the cross and the, and the atonement. And they have to know what happened in Romans and how that applies to them today. They have to know these things. They have to have an intellectual understanding of the scriptures. But your child needs a spiritual regeneration brought about by the gospel through the Holy Spirit. And also, your child needs a practical application of the gospel in every part of their lives. So these are the three things. Your child needs an intellectual understanding, a spiritual regeneration, and a practical application of the gospel message. And these, those three things, really, I believe, should be central to our prayers for our children. And there can be outworkings of those three things, right, into other areas of life and prayers and, and situations that we're uh, taking before God. But, but really, they have to understand the gospel, they have to believe the gospel, and have to apply the gospel. And we need to be pleading with God as parents that this would be taking place because it happens in his power. And the last time that I got to preach um, on this particular subject, I spent a lot of time kind of going through Scripture and pointing out the different areas that point to the, the command that we be doing this as parents, right? That it's not a suggestion, that it's not just some uh, principle that some theologian at one point wove together through a bunch of obscure passages, but that it's explicitly clear from the Old Testament to the New Testament that there is a um, responsibility for Christian parents to help their children follow after Christ, to evangelize their children, to disciple their children. So I'll read from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord of our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. 
and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if I were to paraphrase or summarize, he's saying wherever you're at, if you're walking through the market, if you're staying at home for the day, you're looking for these opportunities to be discussing the things of the Lord with your children. And that goes back to one of my points that we would be applying God's word, the gospel, to every area of life. And they see that this is central to who we are and how we live. And in verse 7, he says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. That's a point of conviction for me, that word diligently. I teach them to my children. Do I teach them diligently to my children? And then Psalm 78, uh, 1 through 8. This is a psalm of Asaph, so not David. And it starts with this uh, give ear, this phrase give ear or listen. Um, and in the Hebrew, this give ear or listen isn't just a merely passive uh, consuming of what is being said, but it requires obedience. He's saying listen and do what I'm saying. Listen and act on what I'm saying. So give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. So what we're seeing is is a parent going farther or being commanded to go farther than just the intellectual ascent of knowledge about God. This is language that has affections, right? The glorious deeds of the Lord, his might and the wonders that he has done. This is a father communicating, this is how God has struck me with awe regarding who he is. And I want to communicate that to you, my son or my daughter. This is how it's affected me, and I want to pass that on. In verse 5, he established a testimony in Jacob, and he appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded, he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that, this is key, so that, They should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. And that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So verse 7, so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. So hope in God leads to keeping his commandments. So we get to our children's affections. We get to what their joy is rooted in. Uh, What is it that is actually sustaining them, driving them? What is it that they worship? And when we get down to that level, we'll start to see why they're doing the things that they do whether they're keeping commandments or not. This is what has been placed on the shoulders of Christian parents. We are stewarding hearts as long as we can. 
So the question is, have you been faithful in keeping this duty of pointing your child to Christ? Of turning their heart and their affections as best you can to the Father? Have you made it a rhythm or a pattern in your life, in your home? Have these things been kept diligently? As Deuteronomy says. And this sermon was a struggle for me to write. Because in order to not do this as a hypocrite, there was a lot of repentance involved in this. So the question I had to ask myself, and then I'm going to put to you also, Christians, is that maybe now is the time to repent of apathy when it comes to your child's spiritual life. Have you been apathetic? Have you been neglectful of their hearts? Are you tending to their hearts like a gardener does his garden, or have you let the weeds consume them? Or maybe it's something else. Maybe you have worked tirelessly to try and steward your child's heart. Maybe that's been you. You've been driving yourself into the ground worried about this. But you've been doing it under your own power and under your own wisdom and without relying on the Holy Spirit and without taking it to the Lord in prayer. It gets better from here, okay? The promise of the gospel is that there is rest for you, parents. That you're not doing this alone. So I think you get the point. Christian parents have this incredible responsibility to evangelize and disciple their children. And yet, Christian parents have an incredible heavenly father. You aren't just a parent. You have the perfect parent. That's who your father is if you yourself are a Christian. I think you're getting the point, but some of you are thinking to yourself, like, I I get what the Bible says, but practically that is not how it has worked out in my life. Practically, uh, my child has struggled with this. My child has said this to me. They think this of me. They've done this. They've been caught in this. It's not all butterflies and roses and rainbows and unicorns with my children. This stuff has not worked its way out so smoothly as maybe Scripture seems to imply that it will. And so what I'd like to do is remind you, uh, there's this gentleman uh, in, well, a gentleman's uh, a kind way to put it, but uh, King David's son Absalom in Samuel 13 through 19. <clears throat> it's a very long story, so I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to summarize and then get to the end, okay, because that's, that's where I think the point is. Uh, for today's message. Absalom grows up as King David's son, wealthy, powerful, the best physical training, the best education, probably very good looking, um, just had a, a overall, by the world standards, a great life. Right? I, how could you ask for something better than being raised the son of King David? That's how a lot of people would look at this. Um, But in his heart, just under the surface, there had been these things that were building um, anger and uh, contempt and pride and sexual immorality and jealousy. And the list goes on and on and on. This bubbles up until the point that Absalom makes a move against his father, the king, to overthrow him. To literally chase his dad 
out of the kingdom, out of his palace, drive him out with the majority of his servants. He actually is successful to some degree. He does get David and his people out. He does take over uh, the palace. And in the midst of that, he commits uh, terrible sexual immorality with uh, David's concubines. And he's uh, being violent to people. And the civil war starts to raise its head in the kingdom. And in the midst of that, David has been pushed out to the hills with just a few faithful people at this point compared to the nation that stayed, right? And David has decided, okay, I do have to push back. I have to retake the kingdom. I have to take back the palace. Um, But the condition that he gives to his soldiers, to his generals, his commanders, is that you will not harm Absalom. That is my son. Be gentle with the boy Absalom is the way he puts it. And so David is taking all of this uh, abuse and this um, evil from his child. And yet you see this tension with his affections for his son. that He still doesn't want harm brought to him. He still wants the best for Absalom. Well, the civil war um, goes on. And in the midst of that, Absalom is riding his mule through, uh, through a battle, which I thought was kind of weird. That's not really like... A mule is not really what I thought Absalom would be riding. Yeah, I'm thinking more like stallion or like buffalo. I don't know. Something, something more burly. I don't know. Than a mule. Anyways, it was a mule. He was riding his mule. And, and his hair gets caught in trees. And the mule keeps going. And he's just kind of hanging there. And long story short, one of David's men strikes him dead. That's not what the king said to do. The soldier thinks he's doing probably what's best for David. What's best for the kingdom is to just end this here and now. And where we're going to jump into the story, uh, there is a Cushite who is sent to tell David what has happened. And you'll see that he is not excited about telling David what has happened. And he's very slippery about the news that he is to deliver. So Absalom has been slayed. And it says, Behold, the Cushite came, and the Cushite said, Good news for my lord the king. For the Lord has delivered you this day from the hand of all who rose up against you. So he's trying to frame this positively, right? This is good news. It's all over now. The king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? His first question. You can see what's right there at the front of his mind. What has happened? What has become of Absalom? Really, he's asking, has his sin destroyed him? Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up against you for evil be like that young man. And then verse 33. And the king was deeply moved. And he went up to the chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he wept, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom. Would I have died instead of you, oh Absalom, my son, my son? So imagine King David, the, the, the man of men, right? The warrior poet. This mighty man of God, despite his flaws, a man after God's own heart, His son had literally tried to destroy him and the kingdom in the process. 
And David is heartbroken that this is how it ended for his son. I would venture to guess that some of you sitting here this morning understand a bit or maybe a lot of David's pain when it comes to his children and his struggle when it comes to his child. Some of you have probably prayed out something to the effect of just, I would rather it be me going through this than my child going through this, like David did. Pleading with people around you and your child to be gentle with them, even in their sin. Some of you here today have a rebellious child that doesn't honor you, a child fighting with or is entangled completely in sexual immorality, a child consumed by their pride, filled with anger and contempt towards you, crushed with anxiety and depression, smothered by the pressures to perform academically or athletically, or a child who even just has yet to place their faith in Jesus and you are tormented because you have concern for the eternal state of their soul. So this morning, my aim is to give you something that helps you walk out of here with hope and comfort and and a sense of the ocean of God's grace that you are just floating around in as a child of God, as a Christian. I, I think that as Christians, we're in that ocean. It's like we're sitting on this little raft and we can't see shore anywhere because there's just so much of God's grace everywhere. But we have, it's like we've picked up something and made a blindfold and we're like I don't see it must not be there I don't feel it right now and we're just adrift in it Christian parents have the perfect parent in your heavenly father so what I'd like you to do right now is go to 1 John 2 starting in verse 28 1 John 2 starting in verse 28 I'm going to read it for us. And now, little children. Remember, he's not writing to literal children. He's writing to adults, right? People who can read. Probably church elders. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. If you're a Christian, you've been born of God. Go back to John chapter 3, the gospel of John chapter 3. Jesus tells Nicodemus, unless you've been born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. You must be born again and born into what? The family of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. You you are the child of God. It's not just a name tag that you wear as a Christian. You are that. God says so. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, it says. Now. So this isn't a future hope. While he does offer us those, to be a child of God is something that you get to sit in now. 
This doesn't happen when you die and go to heaven. This isn't in glorification. This isn't at some um, external point of, of sanctification. This is when you place your faith in Jesus, you are now a child of God. And what will we be? What we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And then verse three, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So when you become a Christian, you're adopted into the family of God. And then God slowly begins to make you more like Jesus, more like himself. So you are not merely a parent. You have a perfect parent who is sanctifying you to be more like himself in your own parenting. This is what we would call the doctrine of adoption. Now, we have to be careful not to confuse this with the doctrine of justification. So justification means that God clears you of your sin debt through the work of Jesus Christ when you place your faith in him. That means that you are legally... um, Free. You are legally innocent, right? So imagine yourself in a courtroom. The judge says, you've been cleared of all charges. Go. But in this courtroom, the judge says, you've been cleared of all charges. I'll see you at dinner. You've been cleared of all charges. I've already got your room ready in my house. You'll be there for Christmas. You are part of the family. You are not merely justified. You are adopted into the family. And that comes with immeasurable benefits that I could never capture in one sermon. Or a thousand sermons, I could never capture them all. Let's just get a taste. As a benefit of being a son or daughter of God, we have his attention at all times. It means at any moment we can cry out to him in prayer over any circumstance or situation or heartache or joy. And he bends the ear and he listens and he's there. Anytime we have his attention, we have his counsel through the Holy Spirit. Not only do we have his attention, we have his response to our prayers. When we cry out and we reach for the wisdom that we can't possibly have on our own, he gives it to us. He's faithful and he has promised it. One Puritan said, Believers are foolish and tender in themselves. They have not wisdom enough of their own to order and direct their way, and are therefore easily seduced and cheated by the adversary who is subtle. But God is always giving them his fatherly advice, warning them of their danger, showing them a way to escape it. They have the voice of his spirit behind them, telling them this is the way. They have the guidance of his most wise counsel to keep them in the right way unto glory. We have his love at all times. So not only can we cry out to him, not only do we have his attention, not only will he give us the counsel and the wisdom that we need, but he loves to do those things. He never grows weary of you. He rejoices when you come to him and recognize your need for him. Isn't that what the Sermon on the Mount says? We have the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. So just like 1 John 3, 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, we are being made more and more like our Father as time goes on. We are becoming more like the parents that he is. 
we have his sustaining and refreshing grace at all times. Sustaining and refreshing grace. So um, back when our kids were younger, I believe that Luke was maybe just over a year old. Piper was like two and a half or something like that. We went, uh, we decided to go on a hike. Uh, because we were told that there's this beautiful, like, cave thing with water that goes under it that you can go play in, and that it's great for kids, and, and this and that. And so I decided, like, we're going to go on a hike. Bethany's parents are in town, all right, and they're going to go with us. I'm like, four adults to two kids, like, this is going to be a breeze. I'm not going to have to do anything. Like, grandparents are here. They're going to take care of it, right? So we go, and we start on this little hike, um, down to this very beautiful destination. Right? That's what makes it worth it, is that destination at the end. We start on this hike, and at first it's smooth, it's clear. There's really no like, rocks or, or branches or anything um, going across the trail. Very quickly that changes, where there's like steep inclines and steep declines, and parts of the trail are kind of washed out, and there's uh, rocks and, and cliffs, like, I brought babies, and there's cliffs, right, that we're walking by. And it, it's, if you don't believe me, it got to the, this actually happened. Bethany's dad even had a walking stick slid off the trail and over the cliff. And we lost him into a blackberry bush. And I brought babies on this hike. I mean, so that's where we're at. Luke gets to a point where he, he gives up. He's done. He lays down on the ground. He will not take another step. He said, carry me or come what may, I'm not walking any farther. Um, and so I, d I had to carry him. And if you know my son, he was born 45 pounds. <laughs> and it's all in his head. And so I literally have to pick him up. I have no backpack. I got no baby sling. I don't have anything like that. I have to carry him in my arms for like another mile and a half to get to this destination. And mind you, back out. Right? Because we have to do this again to get out. And then Piper, on the other hand, she's being a trooper. She's, she's walking. She's like, no, I'm not going to give up. She's all sweaty, you know, red in the face. But she's just thirsty. And I brought my water. She brought hers, but there's like three ounces in a kid's water. Right? They're basically useless. Parents know that. And pretty soon, dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, I'm thirsty. Dad, I'm thirsty. I'm like, me too. Like, and I'm carrying Luke. So I end up giving Piper all of my water. I'm carrying Luke down and back. And what I think is that that is a small, imperfect, much less glorious reflection of your heavenly father carrying you down the path of Christian parenthood. Or maybe it starts off fine. Maybe it starts off smooth, but it gets rocky. It gets hard. People get thirsty. They complain and they give up sometimes. But the destination is going to be worth it. And what he has brought you to, he will carry you through. That's what a good dad does, right? Jesus says in John that uh, he's the bread of life, that he sustains us, that he's the, the living water right, of eternal life, that he provides us rest. That's who your heavenly father is. That's who's carrying you down the path of parenthood. <clears throat> Jeremiah Burroughs says, God, who is the infinite, glorious first being, embraces them with an entire fatherly love. 
All the love that ever was in any parent's heart towards their children is but as one drop of the infinite ocean of fatherly love that there is in God unto his people. So the most love you've ever been able to muster in any moment Maybe that's at their birth. Maybe that's at some other point in life where you're proud of them. Whatever has been the pinnacle of love for you as a parent towards your child is but as a drop to how much your Heavenly Father loves you. So Christian parents, as you walk the often treacherous path of raising your children, you have to remember that you have a perfect and loving and gracious Father in heaven who has bestowed upon you all of the spiritual riches that come with his treasury. It can't be exhausted. You are an heir to the riches of the kingdom of heaven as a son or daughter of God. Your father is rich in mercy and grace. He is rich in new refreshments for your soul each and every morning. You're a child of God through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, and this has been accomplished and secured by God for you to His glory. That's who you are. That's what adoption means in the Scriptures. Those are the benefits that come with being a child of God. And that's how it applies to your parenting. So when you're trying to get the kids down for bed after an exhausting and emotional day like a hike, like a family hike, and they ask for one more book to be read or one more glass of water, they could not possibly be more hydrated than they are right now. And yet they need one more glass of water. (laughs) Remember, you draw your patience from the fact that your heavenly father never loses his patience with you. And when you are peppered throughout the day with incessant questions, incessant. When I was a kid, my mom gave me a limit of questions I could ask per day. And I did not believe her the first time, and I burned them all up in the first hour. And I was not allowed another question for the rest of the day. So I learned I had to use my questions sparingly. (laughs) And are you serious counts as a question. (laughs) So when that happens, you remember the joy that your Heavenly Father takes in you when you constantly come to Him with prayers and petitions and concerns and complaints and questions. That's what you do when you wake up in the morning and your mind is just flooded immediately with everything that went wrong the day before. All the ways that sin and Satan and the world are seeking to destroy your child. When those are the thoughts that greet you, you cry out to your Heavenly Father. You cry out to him to rain down his sustaining grace upon you once again. And then you're going to do it the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning. When you lay down to sleep at night, and all you can do is stare at the ceiling, your mind is just racing with anxiety. Anxiety and fear over what might be next for your child. You are to cry out to your Father in heaven to comfort you by his Holy Spirit, which he has promised is yours in Christ. It's a promise. 
When your college student strays from the faith that you taught them, when they doubt the goodness or even the existence of the God that you so faithfully pointed them toward, you are to call on your heavenly Father, who is alone sovereign over the human heart, to open their spiritual eyes to himself. Repent of the spiritual apathy towards your children. Repent of trying to do it all on your own. Throw yourself on the ocean of grace that comes with being adopted into the family of God. The Heidelberg Catechism question answer one says this, what is your only comfort in life and death? What is your only comfort in life and death? The answer is this way, that I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who is with his precious blood, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto him. Let's pray. Father, my prayer is the same as it was in the first service. I pray that your, your Holy Spirit rides the words of Scripture into our hearts and cuts our hearts to the core. I pray that your Spirit in wisdom convicts us where it is needed, comforts us where it is needed. I pray that we would trust you in that. I pray that we would begin to apply the gospel, the whole counsel of God, the whole of Scripture to our lives as parents, that we would raise children covered, saturated in prayers. Father, I pray for the students at Cornerstone that love you, that are chasing after you. You would continue to sustain them, to sanctify them, and carry them into the future. And for those who have yet to place their faith in Christ, parents, adults, teenagers, that you would do your work in their heart through conviction, and that they would place their faith in you, that they would be adopted into your family, and they would begin to really internalize what that means for them. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this podcast by Cornerstone Church of Ione. We hope that you found it encouraging and challenging. Please feel free to share this podcast with friends and family, and we will see you all next week.